welcome to my tent, a place to hear life experiences, different opinions, a range of journeys, and a viewpoint different than our own. A place to challenge our own thoughts, a space to learn a little bit, and I promise some fun along the way. I believe we're better when we let a range of people into our tents, so welcome to mine. Hello, 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 and welcome back to my tent. Okay, I'll stop singing now. I feel like no one needs to hear that, but welcome back to my tent. We are here with a solo episode today, and I wanted to dive into my journey with infertility. This was a big part of my life. It still is. We'll get into that, but this was a big aspect of the past couple years of my existence, and I want to take some time to talk about my journey and my path within the infertility world and how we now have my son, my 10-month-old son, Ronan. And uh, not only do I want to talk about that, but I also want to focus on some of the stuff that may surprise people about IVF and how to potentially support someone that's going through this if you do not have experience with that yourself. So, pardon me, I want to talk about how we now have Ronan. And I'll try to keep this as concise as possible. It was a complete shit show, so I'll do my best. But I'm actually going to start from the time that we actually got sent to the clinic. So we tried for 14 months naturally. And in itself, that was a really hard year plus, pretty devastating and, and hard. But by the time that I got to my clinic, that's important because I was already tired. I was already over it because we had been at this for so long and just devastated month after month after month. So we went to a fertility clinic after getting uh, referred there by my OBGYN to try to figure out what was happening. And we started with a battery of tests to try to figure out if we could pinpoint that there was a reason as to why we were not having success. So that was a ton of blood work, uh, a bunch of imaging. So I had a saline histiogram, SHS, I believe, where they do ultrasound guidance and flush saline through your uterus and your fallopian tubes to make sure everything is clear and open. It wasn't the most pleasant, but it wasn't too terrible. And we found out that they couldn't pinpoint a reason as to why. So I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is actually a pretty high percentage of diagnoses within this community. But with that diagnosis, my doctor recommended starting less invasive first. My brain immediately wanted to go to IVF um, like right away, which is the more intricate process. But he told me, with the tests that we had run, we should look into IUI first, which is intrauterine insemination, essentially a, a turkey basting experience. So we went that route and I was on medication for the first five days of my cycle to try to get a egg to mature to its full potential. I was given a trigger injection to release that egg. And then in a time frame that they closely monitor was, um, I had catheter insertion into my uterus and sperm is placed directly in there. So the concept and the hope is that you get this very mature egg and then they put sperm exactly where it needs to go. 
what no one really told me was this actually doesn't have a high success rate, like a super high success rate. So my first IUI failed completely. Didn't even fertilize or take. My pregnancy hormone was zero. And that was pretty crushing as well, because I thought that we potentially were going to have success because we were finally at a clinic and that was not the case. So I had an appointment with my doctor who recommended that we try another. I was sort of hesitant on going again with IUI just because I kind of in my mind was like, fuck this, I'm done. But my husband and I talked and said, okay, let's try one more. And if that doesn't work, we'll move to IVF. I'll talk a little bit more about some of the whys we had to move in a bit, but we did give it one more shot. So it was another month of medication, trigger shots, the procedure, which of course failed again. <laughs> Literally, HCG hormone was zero. Another devastating loss, but I at least knew that we had the next steps to go into IVF. We ended up taking a short break because it was the Christmas time frame, and I needed a second just to cope and heal. So within the Christmas-ish time frame, we were doing a lot of the paperwork for IVF and talking to my doctor about next steps and getting medication ordered. And when I got back from that in February, we started with the egg retrieval process. That is where you're injecting yourself one to two times a day and also being really closely monitored. So you're trying to get as many mature eggs to grow as possible. Typically within a month, you'll grow one, potentially two mature eggs in a normal cycle. With the stimulation process, they're trying to get you to grow many, many, many. So it's not a comfortable process. The injections, they kind of sucked, but I'm not squeamish or anything. So they didn't bother me, but I was just more so uncomfortable because I was growing, my ovaries were just feeling like they were going to explode. So you do this stimulation process, you're monitored every other day for a bit. And then every day after that. So it was a lot of maintenance. It was a lot of work. And then you get to the point where you go under anesthesia and they do the retrieval. So they retrieve eggs from your body. I was able to get 22 mature eggs from my retrieval, which is a very high number, a pretty decently high number. And this was the first point I ever felt hope. I mean, don't worry, I got humbled like real fast, but (laughs) I felt hope for a, a second. And from there, they then fertilize those eggs. So they inject sperm into the egg and they wait for them to grow and see where that path takes you. So from the 22, 19 of them fertilized. I was still feeling good. That's great. On day three, 12 of them were appropriately developing. They had the right number of cells. And it's natural that some of them will die off as the process goes. I was prepared for that. But even with 12, I was like, we're feeling good. Like this, even if by, you know, day five, I only get six. That's still a really high number. That's six chances to have a baby. On day five, they called us and said two. Two have made it to the appropriate cell development by day five, which is the day that you need to be viable for transfer. So I went from 22 to two. And we knew we were going to genetically test our embryos. And I lost my shit that day. I said, there's no way these are going to be genetically normal. Maybe one of them will be. And we're going to have to do this whole process again. What the actual F? I 
lost my mind. I remember being in such despair, just realizing how many points in the process things can go wrong. We sent these embryos off for genetic testing. I had virtually no hope at this point, but I have never sobbed harder than I sobbed the day that we got the call and found out both of these embryos were genetically normal. Both of them were able to be transferred. And that was a huge win for us, given the fact that we had this huge die-off rate. And from there, we went into the transfer process. I'm sorry if this is so much information. It's hard to recount, and there's so many steps, but that's IVF for you. The transfer process, they give you injections and medication to get your body prepared. They want your lining in your uterus to be optimal. And within a very scheduled time frame, they then go and put the embryo back into your body. So I went in for my first transfer. I was on some of these medications that were actually kind of gnarly, kind of like forced menopause almost at a certain point, night, night sweats, hot flashes, the whole nine yards. And we go in and we do our transfer on May 5th of 2021. And to my shock, it worked. And I took a pregnancy test about a week later, which was positive. And then I took another one the day after, which was very blatantly positive, like a hundred percent positive. I could not believe it. I was in shock. And I actually went to my best friend's wedding right after we had taken those pregnancy tests. And it was just such a crazy weird time to live in. It was the first time I'd ever seen a positive pregnancy test. I didn't even know how to react, but we hadn't had the blood draw yet. The official blood draw that confirms that there are the HCG pregnancy hormones in your system or any of that. So I'm at this wedding. Here I am thinking I'm pregnant. And when we got back from that wedding, I took another pregnancy test the day before I was supposed to get my blood draw. And it was basically negative, meaning... I had been pregnant and we had most likely lost that baby. So I went into the clinic and got my blood drawn, which confirmed my HCG was extremely low for the time frame I should have been in. My doctor kind of warned me what we thought was happening was happening and I was miscarrying. And two days later, I went in to confirm that my HCG HCG had basically dropped to zero, meaning confirmation that I had miscarried early miscarriage. And I basically wanted to give up in that moment. And I wanted to shut down and say, I'm done. I'm done. This isn't worth it. I mentally cannot do this. And I know that was my first knee jerk reaction. And I was so confused because it was a genetically tested embryo. My anatomy was perfect. My labs were perfect. And it just didn't make any sense. So we finally had the what the fuck appointment with my doctor who said, you're right, that is not supposed to happen. And I don't know why, which is always a fun answer to hear when you're in the depths of hell. But he did tell us, listen, it could be, you know, a couple different things. It's rare, but we can do a uterine biopsy to see if something is going on. I got off the phone. I told Duke, I was like, listen, no, we're not doing that. Just put the other one in, have it fail. I'm done. I just want to get this over with. And he's the rational one of us both. So he said, listen, why don't we just try this test? And if it comes back all normal, at least we know we tried, but it could find something. And I basically humored him and said, fine. So I got a uterine biopsy to note that they literally don't give you any pain management. They shove a basically knife up your vagina and then they cut a piece of you out while you're awake, which was horrid. 
And to our surprise, it came back that I had an extremely bad uterine infection that was making my uterus an inhospitable environment for a baby, which shocked pretty much all of us because I had had no prior symptoms. I didn't feel any pain. There was nothing to indicate that I had that. So the fact that we did was was kind of shocking, but at least I had some answers. So I went on a course of antibiotics, had to get another biopsy where they did not sedate me by any means. And of course the infection was still there. This infection was rampant and relentless. So I had to go on antibiotics again, did that, had another biopsy again, so fun, which then found polyps. My infection was gone, but they found polyps. So then I had to have surgery. I had to go in, go under, have surgery. They removed the polyps. And I was finally then cleared to start the transfer process again. What really worried me was we had one embryo left. It technically was the lower graded one of the two. And I was like, what are the chances that this works again? I already got lucky with the first one. There's no way I'm going to get lucky with this one. So I went into it kind of a little skeptical, but to our surprise, it stuck. And Ronan is now 10 months old, but it took us a really long time to get there. And there were so many points along the way that things were just so difficult. And that's something that I want to get into in this secondary part of this episode, because there are a lot of things that may surprise some people about infertility and about IVF. And if you've listened to any of the past rambling that I just did, it's not always do IVF get baby. There are a ton of ways and potential along the way for things to just not work, whether you don't respond to medication at all for stimulation. I know some people that didn't didn't get any mature eggs. I know some people who didn't have any that were viable for transfer. I know people whose transfers completely failed. I know people that, um, you know, had blighted ovums, which is basically like the sac develops, but the baby doesn't. There are a lot of points in this journey that things go awry and it's not as simple as some people think. What also was sort of surprising to some people is how long it takes because there are um, like cycles, but then there's also, you know, testing that comes into it and then cycles fail and then you're testing again and then you're trying another thing and then the stimulation process and then you have to wait for the testing and the genetics and then you have to go into transfer and some people need to do suppression before transfer. So a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, so you're going to have a baby like ASAP. And I, I, naively thought that too. And then I went through this and I was like, no, that's not how that works. I preferenced this a little bit earlier into our decision to move from IUI to IVF. And that is because insurance is a bitch, a huge bitch. And the fact that we had insurance at all was not common. A lot of providers or like companies that pay for the insurance do not view infertility as a medical diagnosis even though it is. And I think some people think that it's not life-threatening. Like you won't die if you don't have a baby. And it's also very expensive and there's no coverage. We had a set amount and it was lifetime max. I think it was $30,000, which in the infertility world is not a lot of money. I think each IUI was 4,000. 
And then the stimulation and egg retrieval process was about 25. So we only had so much insurance to work with. So we couldn't keep going with these IUIs over and over and over because it was eating into our insurance. So we switched to IVF knowing that we only had that set amount left and we still ended up paying a decent amount out of pocket because we maxed out on our insurance and had none left. And dealing with these insurance companies and these specialty pharmacies is painful and confusing and not easy. They do not make it easy for you. So a lot of people don't even have the opportunity to do IVF because they don't have insurance and it can easily start to be 30, 40, 50, $60,000 out of pocket, which is not fair. Um, infertility also does not leave you once you have a baby. So pregnancy after infertility and loss is a whole concept in itself. I think I'll do another episode about that because my pregnancy journey was not the most fun or easy for me, but it does not leave you once you get pregnant because you're constantly worried. You constantly know what you had to do to get there. And it's traumatizing to have to go through that. And even now, I am most likely one and done. So I think Ronan is our only baby. We don't have embryos left. I will not go through IVF again. If for some reason I get pregnant, I would be elated. But by no means are we going to do what we had to do to get him again. And I even still get triggered when I see pregnancy announcements. So I have my beautiful, perfect son. He's the only one I want. And I still get really upset sometimes when I see pregnancy announcements, even though I am past all of the stuff that happened along the way to get, to get my son. It's a very weird world to live in. And the one thing I will say is a lot of people don't know how to react to you and they don't know what to say to you, especially if they have not gone through it themselves And so I want to talk a little bit about ways that you can support someone in your life that may be going through this, even if you don't have that experience yourself. From my point of view, I'm not mad at anyone that gets pregnant easily. And I think some people may want to shy away from talking about it because they did and they feel like they're rubbing it in your face or they don't know how to react to you. And you can say, I'm so sorry, I don't know what you're going through. Let me know what you need. Do you need to just talk and I'll listen? Do you need a hug? Do you need to go out and have some girl time and talk about anything else? Let me know what you need. I I know I don't understand this, but I still want to be there for you. And a lot of times what I wanted was just to be heard and not to be fixed. And I think there's this inherent you know, knee-jerk reaction to want to fix the problem that someone is talking about. And that would lead to things like, well, there's always adoption, or you can just try again, or at least the miscarriage was early. And none of that stuff is helpful. And it's okay to say to someone, listen, I want to give you the space to just talk. I know that I can't say anything to make this better. And just some people just let me scream into the abyss. And it was so helpful. So, so helpful. I would really steer away from telling anyone, you know, just relax, just get drunk on vacation and it will happen. Um, just adopt. 
that's, that's one that really grinded my gears because that's also not an easy process. Let them be on the journey that they're on. Ask them questions about it. I loved when people would say, so what are the next steps? What's going on? Um, I'd love to hear about anything that's coming up. Um, tell me about what's happening and support them in the decisions that they're making. So it's okay to not understand someone, but it's also possible to still support them in that way. I have been very fortunate in being able to find a community because when I was going through this and I did so pretty publicly, I was able to connect with a lot of other people that understood they're also in this infertility space. So don't be offended if they don't want to talk to you about it. It's not because we don't care about you or want you to know, but sometimes it's just easier to talk to people who get it and that is for me, people that I've actually never met in real life. I've met a lot of these people via Instagram. So don't be offended if we're not coming to you with everything because sometimes it's just harder to talk about it with someone that can't share a relation. It doesn't mean that we don't love you. It sometimes just means that we need a space that you know I can say to people that I've met, oh, I'm going in for XYZ procedure and they just understand what that is. So that's a little bit about how you may be able to support someone that's going through infertility loss. Um, if they're going into this journey just now, little care packages are always so, so wonderful. Fuzzy socks or a warm blanket or something cozy is so seen. A little care package of candy. It can be anything. It can be small. A card with a really heartfelt written note. My mom wrote me the nicest, I still have it, card with just words of encouragement. And even that stuff is so valued and welcomed. So this was a lot in one episode. If you are going through this right now, my DMs are open. If you need someone to connect with or talk to, I am here. And if you have experienced loss or infertility, even if you're out of that space now, I completely get that it can still hurt and your feelings are seen and valid. For anyone that maybe hasn't gone through this, um, perhaps you found this insightful and have now some resources and ways to support someone else because this is a problem that affects one in eight for infertility and one in four for miscarriage. It's, it's a lot higher than we think. And a lot of times people don't talk about it. A lot of times you will never know someone is going through this because it's still kind of a taboo topic. I don't care who knew, who knows that I went through it, but some people will not be as open. So don't be, don't be afraid to reach out. If, if you feel like you don't want to talk about it publicly, that's totally okay. But you can find your people in a safe space to be able to connect. All right. That's it for now. Infertility 101. <laughs> we'll get more into pregnancy stuff as we go. Thank you so, so much for listening. I so appreciate you giving me the space to recount my journey and some of my thoughts. And this is a topic that's near and dear to me. So I love ya. Thank you for tuning in to the Welcome to My Tent podcast. I hope you had as much fun listening as I do recording. I am so happy to have you here and see you next episode.